Let me see you play cards with this boy. With this boy? But he is a common labouring boy. And look at his boots. Well, you can break his heart. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we watched the fourth movie for the 1947 awards, Great Expectations, which actually didn't come out in 47, but was one of those weird things where the Academy nominated it uh, because it was British. <laughs> yeah. Nominated it a year later. Also, maybe because it was British. <laughs> I kind of feel like it has a great actor problem in that its great actor is not very good. Mm. Because this was a movie that I found incredibly strange. Because for the first 40 minutes, I thought this movie was going to fucking rule. Because <laughs> the child actors in this movie are incredibly good. And then the adult actors are horribly miscast and not very good. I will 100% agree with that. And what a weird twist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess we should quickly go through the plot for anyone who doesn't know Great Expectations. Though there are some variations from the actual book in this movie. There is an orphan named Pip who lives with his total asshole sister and her husband who is a really nice guy named joe pip when he is pretty young encounters this convict who has escaped from prison i guess who he helps by giving him food the convict is re-arrested and is supposed to be hanged it's never quite worked out why that didn't happen but that's fine um and the guy's name is Magwitch in the most Dickensian thing possible. This was my problem when I was like 12 and reading Great Expectations, is this is just a cavalcade of Dickens' ass names. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Because we got Abel Magwitch, and now we're switching up to Miss Havisham, the fucking gold standard of Dickens' names. Truly, truly. Other than like... I don't know, Nicholas Nickleby is pretty close. <laughs> Though Philip Pirrip, which is Pip's full name, is pretty close. Anyway, there's this totally bonkers rich old lady who lives in the town whose name is Miss Havisham, and she gets a bee in her bonnet that she wants a young boy to come and play at her home with her adopted daughter, Estella, who is slightly older than Pip, very beautiful, and just absolutely ruthless <laughs> yeah here's a thing about this movie version of great expectations versus the book in the book i remember being like why the hell is he so obsessed with estella like all she ever does is be an asshole to them and it doesn't make any sense and then in this movie Estella comes out and goes like, you're a wretched little boy and slaps him in the face and then goes, you may kiss me. And I'm like, oh, no, now I get it. 100% I get why he was obsessed with her for the rest of his life. Uh, um, yes. The girl who plays her is fantastic. Yeah. As a girl. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Miss Havisham is raising Estella to 
basically be a femme fatale because Miss Havisham was left at the altar by her fiancé and has not changed her home, which was set up for the wedding, at all since that day. They stopped all of the clocks. The wedding cake is still there, which to me was always a thing I had a problem with in the book. I was like, how many preservatives did they put in this cake that is still there like 40 years later or whatever it is anyway pip turns 14 and he has to stop playing at the house and go become an apprentice blacksmith estella is sent to france to become what they call the movie educated for a lady which made me laugh (laughs) like oh she's not going to be educated just educated for a lady (laughs) Then Miss Havisham's lawyer, whose name is Mr. Jaggers, in yet another Dickensian name, shows up, visits Pip, and tells him that a mysterious benefactor who does not want their name revealed or anything about them has left them, or is going to leave them a large amount of money and some property, and basically that he can draw on this for like a yearly, not salary, but what is it called when... When you're just a gentleman who has money for no reason. (laughs) Allowance, I guess. So he goes to London. He ends up rooming with this boy who was, who was now a young man, who was his rival sort of for Estella's affections and also just generally at Miss Havisham's house. Yeah, it's even weirder than that, which I kind of love because it is in fact an extremely like, teen boy relationship where he's just this random kid who sees Pip and goes, do you want to have a fight? And then Pip punches him a couple of times and the kid goes, good fight. And then leaves. That's true. They, they actually only met the one time. Mm-hmm. Now we have the adult Pip and the adult Estella and they meet once again. Estella goes, Pip, you kind of got to know I'm a psychopath at this point. And Pip goes, no, 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 no. You're extremely pretty. And she goes, yeah, but I'm a psychopath. And he goes, pretty though. And so they hang out for like a year. Or something, yeah. During which she meets a guy named Drummle. And that's that combination of sounds where you just know this guy's going to be an abusive husband. Because every guy with a name like that in a 19th century novel is like, do not marry him. Yes. So she marries him. Right. Even though she doesn't like him at all. No. Basically, it seems as if she marries him just to hurt Pip. Yes. Not as much even in this movie as in the book. Yeah. (laughs) Where everybody has a crush on Estella and she specifically picks the one guy that is really gonna upset Pip, which results in her being in a horribly abusive relationship, which isn't really touched on in the movie, but whatever. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely more implied in the movie than in the book, where she just flat out says it over and over again. Right. And then Magwitch comes back. This is the prisoner guy that Pip helped when he was a little kid. And Magwitch goes, hey, do you know how the movie made the audience watch the thing with me and you? That's because I'm your mysterious benefactor. And he has escaped to New Zealand and made a fortune in farming sheep. But he cannot be in England because if they find them, they, they will hang him. Yes. So he has to be kept secret, which to me is wild. Like, why come back? 
Yeah. I never understood that, but whatever. Anyway, this is very upsetting to Pip that his benefactor is not, as he thought, Miss Havisham, because he basically got it into his head that because it was Miss Havisham's lawyer and they were very secretive about it, that it was Miss Havisham and that she was doing this because, one, she liked him so much and, two, to set him up so he would be a proper gentleman for Estella. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) Then a bunch of really boring shit happens. It's wild to say that because the next thing that happens is Miss Havisham randomly catches on fire and, like, self-immolates and dies. But, like, but it is kind of weirdly boring. Is that the next thing that happens or isn't it the thing where they have to... Oh, no, it is that. And then Magwitch escapes, which also is somehow really boring. And like this movie moved along at such a nice clip until this point. (laughs) And then it dragged. Yeah, I blamed John Mills. Like I blame our adult Pip, who is just boring as shit and also pushing 40. And so it's wild he's cast as a 21 year old, but whatever. Well, and also Valerie Hobson as Estella is utterly without the capability of being a hot bitch, which that's what she's supposed to be, right? But she's also like, I have no feelings. You should know that. Yeah. And instead she's like, I have no feelings. You should know that. (laughs) And also has perhaps the worst profile of any human being I've ever seen. She looks like an entirely different person from the side than the front. And most of this movie shoots her from the side. (laughs) Yeah. Let's circle back to this, because I have a ton to say about the casting here. But we should finish up the plot. Yes. Because it only gets more circuitous and stupid from here. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. Where were we? Uh, Miss Havisham catches on fire. Pip tries to save her. Does not save her because her death is too thematic and therefore she has to die. Because the dress she has worn every day for 40 years is what catches on fire. Probably because there's so much dust on it at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Magwitch's old nemesis, who is also the guy that, like, conned Mrs. Havisham and broke her heart, figures out that Magwitch... No, Magwitch figures out he is in London, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a change from the book, but whatever. This part gets deeply confusing because it's also just slightly off from the book. And I only vaguely remember the book. And so I'm like, wait, am I remembering this wrong? Or is this a change? Or what's happening right now? I think that it is a change from the book. What I can say is that it's much muddier (laughs) than the book. That makes it a problem. The end of it, there's like a bunch of scheming and counter-scheming. But in the end, the enemy of Magwitch manages to tip off the police and Magwitch gets injured and captured by the cops, right? Yes. And he is sentenced to death after that. And while he is in prison, Pip figures out that Estella is actually his secret daughter that he had with Jager's The Lawyer's maidservant character that's been referenced like twice in the movie is a slightly bigger deal in the book, but also it's still wild in the book. Yes. And Pip is like, hey, I don't even worry about how you're going to die because I'm in love with your secret daughter. And Magwitch goes, that's all I ever wanted, I guess. I actually never really had a clear motive and dies. (laughs) 
I mean, basically, a lot of shit happens, but basically you're just waiting for Pip to, like, go back to Miss Havisham's meet Estelle and Estella to go, like, oh, I guess actually now we can be in love because the movie's over. Yeah. Her husband turns out to suck and he... Dies? Uh, oh, right, in the... He dies in the book, but I, it's not Does really he not clear at all it? what happens yeah. in the movie. I mean, I assume. Yeah. I... Like, when I'm reading this, it says he doesn't die. And, like, kind of thinking back, I'm like, oh, right, I guess I just assumed he fell over dead because I cared that little about him by that point in the movie. She just says she's going to live in the house by herself now that Miss Havisham has died. But, no, they never actually say that her husband died. (laughs) Which is very bizarre. She also doesn't have any kids because this is all before they get married in this, whereas in the book, the back half of this takes place over like 10 years. Oh, wait, she doesn't even marry Dromo? No. Oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. So she just decides I'm not going to be with him. Oh, that's that's right. He breaks off the engagement because he finds out about her parentage. God, the, that's what happens in the movie. The end of this movie is so confusing. And I don't think it's just that I kind of checked out for it. I will fess up that I did kind of check out for the last like 40 minutes of this movie. But also, I think it is a chicken and egg thing where also this movie gets deeply confusing and hard to follow around the time Magwitch comes back. Because it just becomes like this series of, oh, also, I forgot to tell you this. Anyway, let's go here right now. Oh, no, something I also forgot to tell you has happened. Yeah, all of this taking place in what seems like a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason that Dick had spread it out over many, many years, because it doesn't make any sense for... Nobody has a week that is this (laughs) jam-packed. Right. And it feels like it's all so that Estella doesn't have to get divorced or be a widow at the end of the movie. Or be abused. Right. Which, you know, I'm okay with her not being abused because that has some big, like, you didn't pick the right guy, so now you have to be abused energy, which I'd never liked about Great Expectations. It at least has to be a long time for the plot to work. Because in, in this plot, you're like, Okay, so then why don't you just go marry one of the other 37 guys that like you? Right. Why are you just going to live alone in the house and then also love Pip after, you know, a couple of months ago you told him that you have no heart and are incapable of love? It is this strange thing. I, I do think we can tie this back into the casting where not only do I think that the little kids are better cast, in that, like, they're, you know, age-appropriate and look like they're supposed to. I also think they have a better handle on these characters because little kid Pip gives off this sense of kind of confusion and being kind of tossed about by the world, which in the plot, he is. This is a series of just absolutely wild bullshit that happens to Pip. Yeah, and he is not at all prepared for any of this. Yeah. His upbringing has been very simple, and then he gets thrown into this situation with Miss Havisham, where, I mean, she's literally just playing mind games with him, of like, oh, what happens if we take the poor boy and introduce him to our weird-ass world as a game? And then I can set up him to love... Estella and never be with her, which will be fun because 
somehow this is my revenge on the guy who tricked me and left me at the altar. <laughs> right. I think the problem is that John Mills, who is our adult Pip, tries to play everything as such a like square jawed, not hero necessarily. He does still have enough of a handle to get that like Pip is kind of seduced by wealth, but Pip never seems confused by anything. He just seems kind of like put out or disgusted by stuff. Like, ugh. He's entirely too capable. Yeah. As if this is just an, oh yeah, of course, today is the day that I now help my escaped convict benefactor get onto a boat. He just does everything. (laughs) There's no challenge. It's like, oh, here's the thing that came up. Well, here's what we'll do. And then we do that. And, you know, there is the literal challenge when they are getting on the boat you know, the police find them. Right. But there's no challenge as to figuring out how to get him out of London, which is bizarre. So I've been playing this video game. And in this video game, it has a character creator where you can make your character look however you want. And that's fun or whatever. But the result of that is because the character can look so many different ways, everybody else in the game is far more animated and has far more facial reactions to things than your main character. And your main character just sort of stares blankly at things and nods, no matter how wild the thing they were just told. Like, it's, (laughs) go kill five boars, stare blankly and nod. The entire world is a lie spun by ancient forces that have seduced the world of man for 10,000 years. Smile and nod. (laughs) And that is John Mills' performance in this movie. It's like he just is less... (laughs) animated than everybody else in the film he just sort of is there and is this weird blank slate and it is really off-putting and leaves you with nothing but noticing he looks weirdly like conan o'brien which i spent the last half of this movie thinking wow i didn't catch that at all i mean i don't know that i necessarily disagree with you but i gotta tell you i the man's face is utterly unforgettable so i can't you know look back and go, oh yeah, he kind of does. Uh, utterly unmemorable. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> the man's face is utterly unmemorable. <laughs> yeah, to the point where you couldn't even remember it was unmemorable. Right, to the point where I couldn't remember the correct word to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also was just so focused on how absolutely poorly cast Valerie Hobson was as Estella. Yes, and like, I think this is another case where... Gene Simmons as girl Estella has a much better handle on this character where she is riding the line of that hot crazy scale. Yep. Where she's this active character that actively kind of wants to fuck with Pip and does think he's cute, but also thinks it's cute to fuck with him. Right. Whereas adult Estella is just kind of sleepwalking through life. In this weird way where it's like Valerie Hobson doesn't want to, like, take the hit of Estella doing genuinely bad shit as an adult. And instead is like, well, she's just sort of doing what society expects of her. And it's like, she's not really. No, very specifically, society does not expect for women to be going out of their way to destroy men. (laughs) 
At least not Victorian society. Yeah. Not purposefully, you know. They might by having a wandering womb or something, but to have those kind of machinations is not at all what is expected of her. And yeah, it is very much played that way of like, oh, well, I'm just a woman, so this is what I have to do. The result is you stop caring about these characters just in time for shit to get super confusing. And so you just don't have any anchor while people keep telling you this wild ass shit. Yeah. And everybody just keeps going like, yeah, I guess we're going to a boat now. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it is such a shame because I remember the opening part of the novel being what really turned me off to the novel. And in the movie, I kind of love it. I think that first 30 minutes is great. Yeah. And I thought like, oh, wow, then we're going to get to the adult part where like shit really gets popping. I already love this, so it's going to be great. And instead, the part where a bunch of stuff happens just feels like a bunch of stuff happening. Like it doesn't actually have the feeling of like, oh, hey, remember Magwitch? Like, remember this other thing? Like, boy, Miss Havisham is literally self-immolating, which she's been doing metaphorically for 40 years. <laughs> it just feels like, well, now she's on fire. Now we're going to a boat. Now he's ca now he's in prison. Now Estella's his daughter. Like it doesn't, none of it feels like a payoff to anything. It just feels like saying random crap. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. And it's it loses the gothic tone of the book, which is kind of unusual for Dickens. And this is very much trying, I think, to force the typical Dickens tone. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work if you try to make this like, oh, and then I went over here and I did a jolly good thing. And then, you know, some bad things happened, but that's all right. Which is like kind of the David Copperfield feeling, you know, of like, and then I was beaten horribly by whoever and was forced to work in a wine shop. But oh, well. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas in Great Expectations, it's much more like every little thing is so incredibly pregnant with potential mystery and tragedy and darkness. And you don't get any of that after Pip leaves wherever the town is that he's from, where Miss Havisham lives. Yeah. The whole tone of it changes. So when we go back to Miss Havisham's house and she's set on fire, it feels like it comes out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, I don't know how much of this is the movie's fault in a weird way, because Miss Havisham in this is much more self-aware than she is in the book, or at least communicates to Pip way better that like, oh, no, I know it's crazy that I've spent 40 years not letting anybody touch anything in my house, but I'm rich and I can be crazy and I'm just going to be until I die. <laughs> In the book, it's much more like, what is this lady's deal? And I don't know whether or not that initial thing, which I actually quite liked in the kids section of Miss Havisham is kind of communicating better who she is and why she's so standoffish and is also kind of being directly mean to her like money grubbing relatives, which is great. Yeah. How much that kind of ruins the eventual weird rug pull of her death. Because in the book feels way more like, 
oh, this is like a culmination, like her denial of things changing, the fact that she wears this dress forever and ever is what ultimately kills her. Whereas in the movie, you kind of feel like she would just go like, yeah, figures. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Now I'm on fire. (sighs) Whatever. It's a weird movie. And like, I know that's my catchphrase, but I don't think I've ever seen a movie where I thought stick with the child actors. No. If they just stuck with the child actors, I think they could have pulled this off. Yeah, usually we hate the child actors and we have to really concentrate on the second half of the movie. (laughs) And this was concentrate on the second half of the movie because we've tuned out in the first one because they were so awful. And in this, it was completely the opposite. I actually found myself during this movie thinking, wait, wasn't this good? As we got into it, because I was very confused because I had been sort of riveted and then I was not and I couldn't figure out what had happened. I found it like it was this weird thing where about an hour in, I just took a break and then came back and was like, oh, God, it's going to be like pulling teeth to watch the rest of this. And then thought, wait, why? I've liked this. Right. It's such a sudden turn. There's such a just, I don't want to watch John Mills anymore thing that just happens almost immediately. This is our first John Mills movie, right? I think. As far as I know. Yeah, I don't recognize him. So I don't want to go like, he is a bad actor, but he is just terribly miscast in this, in that he is way too old. Like, he should not have wrinkles on his forehead and cheeks. He is 21. But it's just the wrong energy for the back half of this movie. And I don't think there's really anything else to be said unless you have anything. Nope. I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, like, three? I want to go all the way up to a four, but it is definitely a thing where it was like, the meter was at like an eight, and then it just kept going... I don't know if I could go all the way up to a four, because so much of the movie is not good. Yeah, I mean... I mean, the beginning, though, is very, very... The beginning is great. That's why it's so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I do think it is about four-tenths of this movie that is good, but I do think it's fair to, like, drop it down yet one more point for how frustrating it is that that four is the whole first four-tenths of the movie. And you just go like, wow, I'm in for a great movie. And then it just falls off a cliff. It's a bit cruel, frankly. Yeah. So, yeah, let's go with three. I don't watch this movie. I mean, obviously. (laughs) If you, too, would like to experience, like, thinking we're wrong and this is a great movie and then becoming incredibly disillusioned, then go ahead. Uh, But you're in for a bad time. Don't watch this movie. There is no reason. Next week, though, is our final film of the 1947 awards, which is The Bishop's Wife. Yeah. Starring Cary Grant and Loretta Young. And I have no idea what it is about. Also, are bishops allowed to get married? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, um, God, I'm sorry. The, the back half of this movie is so wildly boring. I forgot to mention Alec Guinness is in this movie and is the only well-cast adult. 
he is the adult version of the strange little kid that challenges him to a fight. Yeah, he is. And he's good. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't need to be but like But he's a... not in it very much, so... No, I, I honestly just wanted to mention it because I don't think Alec Guinness has ever been in a movie he thought was good. He famously hated Star Wars. Right. Which, honestly, given that he has to do all the wild-ass expository shit in Star Wars, makes some sense. But he also apparently hated this movie. I mean, this movie is not good. <laughs> so, that's fair. Did anyone ever suggest him that, like, maybe he could take a different job? <laughs> yeah. Like, look, buddy, if you hate acting so much, just don't do it. Anyway, next week we find out if bishops can have wives. <laughs> Answering the burning question man has asked since the dawn of time. Oh, I mean, I'm just pretty sure bishops can't have wives unless, yeah, I mean, maybe they're not Catholic bishops. Whatever. We will find out next week. So tune in for that. And until then. I was going to say this was a novel, but it also wasn't really even that. It was four tenths of a movie. (laughs) This was four tenths of a movie. And that's not enough. Just dress little kid Pip up in adult man clothing. (laughs) The whole point of adult Pip is he's little kid Pip in adult man clothing. So just do it. The kid could have handled it. It would have been a good movie. And Estella, I think, could have absolutely handled. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, both of them were giving performances that make more sense as adult. Yes. It was a bad movie. Don't watch it. It was four tenths of a film. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> I'm so I'm sad again. I depressed myself again that this movie got bad. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Well, Wormish, am I pretty? Yes, I think you're very pretty. Am I insulting? N- no, not so much so as you were last time. Not so much so. No. There, take that, you cross little monster. What do you think of me now? I shan't tell you. Because you're going to tell upstairs, is that it? No, it's not it. Why don't you cry again, you little wretch? I'll never cry for you again. 